This podcast is a proud member of the That Moment In Podcast Network. Check out the network at thatmomentin.com. Hello and welcome to episode 17 of the Asian Cinema Film Club. I'm your host as always, Elwood Jones, and joining me, of course, is my co-host, Stephen. Hello there, thank you for having me again. Okay, and uh, tonight we're going to be looking at Kwok J. Young's romantic melodrama, The Classic. This is a tale of cash jewelry, intergroup breeding, the Vietnam War. So, I mean, of course, who better to join us than our very own Duchess of Dark Cinema and owner of Zoe with Shotgun? It is, of course, gives us great pleasure to welcome back to the show, Zoe. Hello, and thank you for having me back on something uh, slightly lighter than other episodes. I know. I know normally we find something fun and dark and disturbing for you to join us on. I mean... I think last time you were on, we were doing our draft of Asian horror films. Um, and then somewhere along the line, I don't know if you and Stephen had a weird bet or what ha- happened, but somehow you got <laughs> roped into watching this film that he's picked for us this evening. I think it was me saying that in return for some charity money, I would do almost anything. And Stephen suggested watching this film so um yeah here i am ready to ready to go (laughs) (laughs) and i mean are you still collecting donations for your charity thing people still donate to you or i think the donation page is still open but i will have to check that one because we've done the run now but i think it's still open so i'll let you know i'll double check that's fine well we can always uh put a link on there and people can can you know donate something for in subjecting yourself to one of Stephen's picks this evening but I mean <laughs> Stephen why did you like I mean we obviously have Zoe here who's like you know she's the person we go to if we need to talk about something dark or disturbing or horrific I mean since the last episode I mean you've joined that moment in.com you're now one of our columnists on there and you've been writing about wonderfully dark cinema. I mean, you talked about a Serbian film and more recently, Nakudama. Um, so, I mean, is there any more sort of plans for... Have you got anything planned for coming up? Yes, uh, I have. Things? I have uh, the next instalment of uh, the column looking at uh, dark cinema and controversial films coming up. Um, I'm in the process of just finishing it, actually, because I went went away to Milan so it took a short break from that but um, I'm looking at uh, the the last house on the left so something something going a bit old school but looking looking at that film and and why it was so controversial at the time and also why it's still considered as very controversial okay and I mean are you going to be touching on the remake or is it just the Wes Craven version no I'm going to be touching on the remake as well um, because I had a few interesting discussions quite some time ago but uh, with with a couple of people about the remake versus uh, the original and kind of how they differ in terms of the the content they offer so I'm gonna I'm gonna be looking at both of them fantastic and um, I mean Stephen obviously this is your pick tonight so we're obviously gonna be talking about Korean melodrama so, 
I mean, do you want to start by giving us a bit of a bit of a background on Korean melodrama? Because I mean, this is obviously isn't one of my fields. Um, I mean, I assume this is one, one of yours. Of <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, what I can do, I'll give you a bit of background. I'll tell you why I chose it. I chose it because over at Guelo Ramblings is where I started, and the. The, the purpose of that was to show the world that well show the western world or the three people that might read my blog that there are more things to asian cinema than kung fu films and long-haired um ghost girls <laughs> so you know there's comedy films there's romance films there's there's action films there's historical films and there's also melodramatic melodramatic films just like there are anywhere but there's something interesting about asian um, melodramatic films because they're coming from a different background and there's something especially interesting about Korean um, melodramatic films certainly of a certain age um, so Asian countries as a whole are, are conservative with the lowercase c right? so you don't come here if you're looking for boobies and sex don't come here if you're looking for anything outrageous you're lucky to get a kiss I think tonight's film delivers one within two romances you get a kiss and that's about as much as it's all about emotion and it's also against a background of of, of a different society so so um korean society is, is a confucian society so it's very based on stratas of society so teachers are important but being collectors aren't but you can't travel between them um it, it's very structured and there's and there's all sorts of rules um, it's also Korea is also a country which has modernized fairly recently. So again, I chose tonight's film because it's set in two time periods um, it, during the 1960s when Korea was so well, Korea was basically uh, under a dictatorship and arranged marriages were still a thing. And then it's set more in the sort of the post 2000 era. People are beginning to get much more freedoms. Um, the, the world's a different place. And I, I find that kind of interesting. Um, just how different it is to to western cinema although a lot of the tropes are the same so we can play um melodrama bingo tonight because <laughs> i i can give you a series of things which i think this film covers most of them so these sort of films have classical music they're full of funny little homilies where you I don't know. In this film, they talk about rainbows being the gates to heaven. Um, they're like pans to a rustic past. Like the past is better. When we all lived in the country, everything was much more idyllic. Um, school days were tough. Teachers were firm, and they you know, there's a lot of violence around at school. Um, there'll be a quirky person. It might not be one of our stars, but someone will be a bit weird and a bit quirky. Um, spoilers. I think we we do spoilers on this, right? So turn off now if you want to watch this film, but someone's going to be ill and probably die. Um, there'll be rain, there'll be umbrellas, boys will carry girls on their backs. Um, there'll also be a weird obsession with bodily functions. That's not only in this film, I know we're going to talk about that later, mate. But uh, um, <laughs> scatological humour is very popular in Korean melodramas, don't know why. Um the whole world seems to be run something like dangerous liaisons where there's always letters or emails or something like that that um that gets that tends to be the way of showing um emotion or feeling and also 
sometimes you get a really weird genre shift somewhere near the end where the film that you're watching suddenly becomes a different type of film altogether. Again, we've talked about that in other Asian cinema, but in romantic um, melodrama, it's a bit weird, isn't it? So if you've got your bingo cards ready, <laughs> we can we can go back to them later. Um, so I don't think we're ever going to probably talk about any of these films ever again. So I'm going to take this opportunity just to go through sort of a golden age of Korean melodrama, in my opinion, which starts um, with 1998's Christmas in August. Um, and basically, that was one of the first Korea, locally produced Korean films. There's been a Korean film industry since there's been films. But quite often you'll find in, in lots of territories that, that locally produced films aren't very popular. And yes, they'd go for Chinese films or they'd go for Western films. So this was a really, a really massive hit. Um, and it, it hits a lot of these, a lot of these beats or bingo card points, whichever you want to, whichever way you want to go into it. It's about, a, you know, it's, a, it's about a romance. Um, there's going to be lots of spoilers here. Um, never really develops to do anything because the guy dies. Um, <laughs> Then in um, 19, and then in 2000, we get Ilmer and Ditto, um, two films which have a bit of a sci-fi bent to them. The first one's about a romance which happens for two people who are living in two different times and um, share their, their, their relationship is done via letters that travel through a time-traveling mailbox. Um, and Ditto is very similar, um, but the the way the two characters interact is via a radio which manages to transmit messages across the decades and also introduces another thing should be on the bingo chart the icky sort of oh you're chatting up my your own mum kind of thing um also seen in back to the future um the more you <laughs> describe this the more the more this seems more of a suitable thing that a reason for having zoe on i mean this exactly. is slowly exactly. creeping into her territory than what i would assume <laughs> when we originally mentioned like melodrama you've got, to, you've got to unwrap these things um 2001's my sassy girl is is the one that we will go to at some point um that was the film that lit the blue touch paper on what's called the hallyu or the korean wave where korean culture really got popular all across Asia and spread into America. Didn't hit the UK so much, but that's a, that made superstars of its two leads. Um, certainly in the whole quirky world, it suddenly moved from being sort of traditional stuff, traditional relationships to there's a really weird girl who's not fitting into the tropes of, of Confucian society. Um, 2001 also gave us the rather fabulous Phylan, um which stars old boy himself Choi Min Sik in a film which you just wouldn't expect. It also stars Cecilia Chung. Um, I think we've spoken about before, Hong Kong actress, um, bit of a mixed reputation. These two don't even meet. <laughs> and <laughs> it's a romantic film. Um, very clever, actually, film. Um, highly recommended. Uh, where shall, shall we move on to 2002? And we get... Um, Lovers Concerto, which we introduce, um, is a, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a weird one. Um, two girls and a guy fall in love. Um, they're all friends with each other. Um, it stars 
one of the stars of my sassy girl, um, Cha Cha Hyun, who's basically made a career out of being in these sort of films, and also basically any co-star that that stars in one of these films with him tends to get mega stardom afterwards. So he's a bit like the um, Stephen Chow of of Korea, um, but he's not as funny. He's just got a nice smile, I guess. Um, but that 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 one goes really weird at the end um, with with a with a dramatic change in the final act which is just i can't even explain here i don't even want to talk about it um 2004's moment to remember stars the star of this film son Jin, um where a couple fall in love and they actually get around to getting married this time unfortunately she gets early onset alzheimer's um windstruck in 2004 by the same director as this and of uh my sassy girl um sort of a pseudo sequel to my sassy girl i really like it most people don't it was only ever a hit in japan but i'd suggest it and then around 2004 we also get someone special and this is where i think the golden age began to fall down because it's a film which is lampooning the genre only gently but it, it, it's, it's a comedy about a romantic melodrama that is a romantic melodrama as well. And maybe it's sort of the, the, the circle spiraling in it on itself. Um, we go on a couple more years. That were well, one more year to 2005 where you get Sad Movie, which is basically the Korean version of Love Actually, where a whole bunch of stars of these films have four different stories that go on and interact with each other. And I'll end it with My Girl and I, from also from um, 2005. It's actually a remake of a Japanese film. Um, boy and girl fall in love. Girl gets leukemia and dies. Have I got you on board yet? You've certainly given quite a pile there. I mean, that's, that's quite a deep dive into, I think, a territory that I don't think most people do think of when we obviously talk about Asian cinema. I mean, obviously, if we're talking about doing deep dives into anything, it's normally like one of the the more key genres like martial arts or horror or anime um so i think you've you set a new you set a new avenue there Stephen, for going down this path of uh romantic melodrama i didn't think we would ever have it on this show but you know <laughs> we might have it and we might have it again i mean what I've, I've, it's very much just sort of the the modern romantic melodrama so I've, I've avoided anything in terms of period pieces i've kind of avoided comedies or some a couple of those films have certainly have comedic elements as does tonight's film but yeah it's i mean it's, it's a genre which is popular all over the world um it's just got some interesting different beats but maybe as we talk about tonight's film together we'll uh, we'll explore these and i'm fascinated to see how the king of cult and the queen of disgusting stuff have reacted. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you can use that in your Twitter bio. I will. <laughs> That's my new thing. <laughs> the queen of disgusting stuff. It's, it's all like, it's, you're never sure whether the, whether when we describe your taste, Zoe, whether it's an it's an insult or a compliment. I'm. Uh, well, you have to obviously say. I mean, for me, it's a compliment, but, you know, I'm sure if many people read that, they'd probably think it was quite an insult, so... Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know it's meant as an extreme compliment. Because obviously I'm... Zoe and I have this weird thing where I feel that we're diametrically opposed cinematically, and then we'll have the same favourite film somewhere along the line, so it's... Yeah, it doesn't make sense, but, you know, <laughs> somehow we're... it does. It does indeed. <laughs> it's a wide, wonderful world, and both ends of the spectrum should be appreciated. Well, I mean, John Waters always said that if someone threw up in one of his films, he took it as a standing ovation. So, each to their own. Um, 
If you like uh, other more deep dives, make sure you do check out our blog, though, which is asiancinemafilmclub.wordpress.com. On there, we've got the monthly mixtapes that we've been putting up, um, and Stephen seems to be working his way through the Brown Eyed Girls discography on each tape, so you've All got that, that month, to enjoy. Months, months of that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but on there, there's plenty. There's a real mixture of stuff. We've got some K-pop. We've got some... Asian hip hop on there. Um, it's a real mixture of stuff that we're putting out there. So uh, if you are a fan of of uh, Asian music, so then please do let us know your recommendations for future tapes. Uh, we have also launched a new feature on there, which is the Anime Vault, where I'm going back and revisiting some classic anime that I either missed out on or just got really intimidated by back in the day, uh, which is certainly the case of uh, the opening uh, title I've gone to look at, which is Legend of the Overfiend, which is for those not familiar, it's the complete polar opposite of tonight's selection, as it's really the granddaddy of hentai anime, um, and features this this world where basically we are there is one of three dimensions. We've got the demon dimension, and we've got the beast uh, beast man sort of dimension, and they basically discover that the prophecy for the legendary overfiend who's going to unite the three dimensions is coming and it's done to this brother and sister pairing who have spent the last hundred or so years looking for this uh, creature known to them as the Chojin. Um, the film itself is absolutely notorious and when it was released back in 1989 uh, the Daily Mail leading the outcry against all anime uh, calling for us to ban this sick filth as they assumed that because this anime being extreme and graphic that all anime was extreme and graphic and I mean you have to remember this is a time when we were, most people were still calling anime either manga or Japanimation so um, it was really a a fun experience even though I was a wuss and watched the edited cut which uh, cuts out about 40 minutes of gratuitous sex and violence and other stuff that I'm sure the anime sweaties are really excited about and when I met and really I was just wanted to write a sensible piece because whenever you try to research this bloody film all you have is a bunch of people wanting to talk about the more graphic moments and it's like yes this is why nobody ever wants to watch this because they don't want to here senses like he wore her like a condom. Um, <laughs> who wants to watch? Who takes that as a selling point? Other than I don't know maybe Zoe, but I would definitely hundred percent watch that. <laughs> yeah, you're taking all my best shut up lines, mate. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> Want to wear her like a feed bag? <laughs> Um, I mean, this is a title which obviously falls in like the like lines of such like the heavy metal and the Ralph Bakshi sort of films, which would be like its westerns comparisons. And I mean, this is the first entry in a five-film series. Um, it was originally released as OVAs um, in its in their full uncut form. But no, certainly if you like uh, your anime a little more extreme, then uh, Legend of the Overfiend certainly has a lot going for it. And hopefully, uh, we're going to be looking at some more obscure titles certainly the next title we're looking at is doom megapolis uh which is another ova series which back in the day i was enamored by its really cool cover but for you know one reason another, i never got around to watching until now and now is obviously the best time to catch up because whenever i look at new anime i'm just completely overwhelmed by the fact that everything's like 100 episodes long uh or it's just really bizarre and i'm just you know obviously not as hip as these kids are that want to just like watch everything in perfect subs and just give all the Japanese names for things so 
Um, but if you uh, do like your new anime, uh, Yatatachi have got uh, their rundown of the summer 2018 season on their site. So uh, you can see what the highlights are for them on there as well. Um, whereas for myself, I'm just really excited for the return of Attack on Titan season three. But as I digress, we are here not to talk about anime and demon porn, but we are going to be talking about the classic, uh, which we mentioned already was Steven's pick. So, Stephen, I mean, do you want to explain what this film's about? Oh, well, change the format up, and I'll, I'll, I'll do the synopsis, shall I? <laughs> you can, I can more than happy to explain no, no, if you want. No, no, more than happy to. Okay. So, what we have here is a film that takes part in two time periods. Um, in the modern day, we One meet... the bingo cards. <laughs> exactly. We meet uh, <laughs> um, who's played by Sonny Jim, who comes across a box of love letters written by her mother back in the day back in the 60s um meanwhile ji hai is um she's in love with a guy in the drama group but her best friend who's a bit of a vacuous so and so um got a huge crush on him and is making uh ji hai write letters emails to him under her, her name to try and attract him so she's she's basically working against her own heart Let's go back to um, the 1960s, and we uh, we pick up in a rural setting. A um, bunch of boys, including one called Jun Ha, played by uh, Cho Seung Woo, who um, is visiting his uncle in the country for the summer, and he bumps into a young lady, the uh, daughter of a I think she's a daughter of a politician called Ju Hee, who just happens to be the mother of Ji Hai from the beginning of the film also played by Son Yi Jin it can get a little confusing <laughs> um, they basically fall in love but she's betrothed to another, that other however happens to be the school friend of Jun Ha and he ends up writing letters to uh, Ju He to um, basically make the, uh, the, the other two fall in love, see what's happening here um, so what we have is a two, two stories happening in parallel it's mostly set in in the past where we have a, a love triangle um a mother and a daughter both suffering the same love triangle but in different time periods and we follow it forward time in the in the secondary story moves forward through the sort of the more recent history of korea um from the from the sort of the late 60s through to the vietnam war until a tragic conclusion but there's a happier ending in the modern day. Does that cover it? Yeah, about. I think that about <laughs> it. I mean, this is this is a two-hour film here. Film, <laughs> <laughs> um, which obviously is a little intimidating when you got Stephen there giggling away in his emails, saying, "I've got a romantic melodrama for you," and you think, "Oh, this is going to be like a Hollywood melodrama, and we're going to have to have people, you know, holding hands and going on long walks and." talking strenuously about the relationship before encountering strife and being broken apart before finally coming together in the last act and this really isn't any of that this is this is quite enjoyable to watch i mean it's it's stupid in places and downright bizarre in others um <laughs> but i would i i mean i was surprised i enjoyed this film as much as i did um and i think Stephen probably did because i think he was hoping to hoping that we'd really hate this one or something i don't i don't know but i mean no. so what did you make of this i mean i didn't hate it 
I definitely didn't hate it. I'm also not going to say I loved it, uh, but it did keep my attention for for the runtime. I think I took one one break for dinner, uh, and then I finished it. And yeah, I mean, it's it's not what I was expecting, and it's not quite like you said. It's not quite the Hollywood kind of melodrama romance that that I was uh, that I'm used to, or well used to seen like two of them um but yeah it was it's kind of nice in places and then there were some really weird parts which just just threw me off a lot and those parts i i didn't really understand <laughs> what was happening or why they were included but now that you've said Stephen, that they're like uh bingo cards now <laughs> it seems to make sense somehow why they're included in there but um yeah i mean it was kind of I found it a bit boring in parts but I I quite liked it I wouldn't I wouldn't say it was awful but I probably wouldn't watch it again (laughs) well I know what I expect you to I mean it's been 10 years since I last saw it and I'd forgotten about it so I'm interested in in the final act well in the sort of second half of the final act there's a bit of a gut punch (laughs) in fact there's a few gut punches were you two still invested in the film after that much time for when (laughs) um for when um people start losing faculties and dying off screen at that (laughs) Or, or or was it was it too 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 deep into it to um to make you a lump in your throat. I'm not expecting either of you to cry. Actually, <laughs> there was there was one part that nearly I called my friend afterwards because she said she needed to know how I'd found it because she's into romance movies. So she was uh, she was quite excited to know how I found the the over two hours runtime of it. Um, and I said to her that there was nearly a very close part where there was a tear coming, but it didn't it didn't quite fall. So it did nearly get me. It did nearly get me, but it didn't fully. <laughs> how about you, Elwood? I don't know. I think I'm just dead on the inside. Oh, oh. <laughs> I think it was like, it probably would have, but at the same time, I think when we get to that point, we're an hour and a half into this film before it adds on another half an hour of of really random plotting because you think we have, we know where we're going. We think, oh, they're going to get to... The, the path is set for this couple to go because, as you said, the majority of the film takes place in the past and it's following... Um, Jihee's mother and her relationship um, with the, with this guy that she as I said he's just some guy that she meets randomly in the countryside and uh, they have this they have an encounter which really brought back memories of Tears of the Black Tiger you know the, the most fabulous western ever produced um, yeah. where he's carries he's carrying her and they, I mean they don't seem to be that far out in the country but he seems to like be walking for days with her on his back and the crossing terrain that we've never seen before. Um, only for him to be like slapped in the face by her father, I believe it was, because you it know was his, that was his uncle. So that he, was his uncle. So what would have happened? So again, this is this is maybe where sort of a little local knowledge helps. So um, remember what I said about the different statuses. So he's he's like mm-hmm. a. a, a a poor kid so they're both from seoul i think they say don't they they're both from the same yeah. town. but she's the daughter of like the local senator Con- 
congressman, congressman or something, right? Call it. Yes, that's right. So he should have anything to do with her. So he's put incredible shame on to his family. So, yeah, that's that's his uncle giving the slap. Um, so again, but it's not really explored. Now, I should say I was a bit of a meanie choosing this film because it's actually kind of a deliberate um, attempt to pull in every genre possible. So the director, um, Kwak Jae-yong, is the director of My Sassy Girl, and this is the film he followed it up with, and it wasn't a terribly big success at all. So even though um, Son Yoo Jim went on to great things, um, Kwak Jae-yong never really has. Um, he's, he's, had, he's done some work with um, Choi Hark and things like that, but he's never hit the, hit the greatness in terms of box office. So this was a bit of a flop because it's a bit by the numbers, um, so I could have chosen some films where the death happens a lot earlier on. <laughs> so I, I feel, I feel I have not been quite, it wasn't quite as sickly sweet and, um, tear covered as I could have done to you. Um, so some of those other films I talked about, you you you're in the first act and you already, um, you already need water wings. Okay. Um, how did you find the? Um, we got a double check on scatological stuff. I think. Um, I, I think Edward, you enjoyed the fart dance and. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I mean, I mean, oh God, say we obviously fo- we're there following. Um, we're following the mother's character, and um, yeah, basically, it then switches direction and we're following uh following this 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 country kid who's happened to be involved with her now um he ends up getting from her this this necklace uh to as, as a reminder of their time together because they only had a brief amount of time but she wants to give him this necklace and then we have to say this is the most cursed necklace because nothing but bad luck befalls him in this bloody necklace all the time he has it <laughs> um so obviously he's off at military school or or just a boys academy just, or something it's just school so at that time school, schools wouldn't be co-ed um so again if you'd seen it, it's quite a common trope not just in melodrama but but korean school films they they wear the you know you're used to the japanese schoolgirl uniform right the boys have this almost militaristic uniform um so they still have national service, for example. So it's, um, Korea's currently at that time is under a military dictatorship. So uh, it, that's a trope. That, that was not a trope. That's what people wore in 1968 at school. But you're, you're right to pull on the sort of the, the whole military thing. But I think yeah, that's um, all So yeah, we're obviously following uh, Jun Ha at this point, and he's at this academy, and I mean. They're there. They have the for some reason they have this weird scatological fetish happening at this school because um, his friend he decides that he's going to do karaoke just using farts. Um, there's a whole scene where they're out running around looking. They're either doing poos in bushes or looking for poos. I don't. What was the whole scene of them looking for poo? Okay. I don't understand why so, this was. That part okay. was weird. Okay, so. This isn't the only film I've seen this in. So I've done some investigation. Basically, they're checking the health of people and they use the kids' feces. The kids are meant to have brought in a sample of feces to check their 
to check for parasites and things like that. Yeah, it's it's just a national health thing. None of the boys have remembered to bring in their feces, so they've been told go and sort it out now. So all the boys go off to the woods to have a shit in the woods. Um, our, of course, our two, the two that we're following, can't do that, so they just scrape up some dog poo and use that, which is why much later in the film, when they get the results, um, uh, Junha um, has got 5,000 parasites and gets given about 200 tablets to take. Right. <laughs> but that again, makes more sense now. I think I'm suspecting if you're Korean and you went to school in Korea, that's a rite of passage, a bit like us maybe having our tuberculosis jabs or something like that. Um, I much preferred my tuberculosis jab than <laughs> having to go and shit in the woods. <laughs> they didn't have to. They could have done it at home, but obviously the boys don't do that. But, um, yeah, bizarrely, that's not the only Korean melodramatic film I've seen where toilets <laughs> become some part of the story. And, yeah, it is, it is a bit weird. And, again, this is what I'm talking about. You wouldn't get that in a Hollywood film, would you? But in a lot of Asian cinema, they seem to explore things around like farts and toilets and, I mean, Japanese and bodily cinemas, functions. Yeah, bodily, Japanese cinema is full of it. They love an yeah. excretion. Um, it, the uh, Chinese comedy films think farts are the funniest thing in the world. Um, <laughs> and, and we've, I think we've mentioned it before, Elwood, in, in something else. You know, in Stephen Chow films, you know, someone having a fart is hilarious. Now, I think we do think it's hilarious when we're five but they seem to make it it just seems to be a cinematic trope a humor a bit like slipping on a banana skin that 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 they find much funnier than us where we're a bit you about it aren't we well, yeah i guess we're I mean, a bit prudish right yeah. <laughs> well we you are have, <laughs> you have to only look at the west i mean we've got a very popular series of animated films where the lead actor thinks the scottish accent's the funniest thing in the world so that's that's that that's absolutely true. Um, <laughs> yeah. So um, I think we all have our our quirks. It's just theirs happen to be on the more darker side of things. But you know, <laughs> who could forget they had those happy school days of sitting on the bus with your little baggies of poo? Uh, <laughs> it's but it's such a weird scene. It's all like you're watching. As I said, you're watching what is all by all means a romantic comedy. And um, yeah, we're suddenly we're off we're off watching group this group of boys going off to shit in the woods, and it's sort of like um, I I can't imagine being like on a on a date or something. It's like oh, we're, I'm gonna take you to the cinema, and we're we're gonna watch the classic. We're gonna watch this romantic film, and um, that scene comes on. I mean, the only the closest comparison I can think of is that when I when Cruel Intentions came out in '99. And me and my friends went to see it because uh, Michelle Geller was in it. And you saw all these guys had been dragged along by their girlfriends. And you suddenly have the scene where Sir Michelle Geller and Summer Blair are making out in the park. And it suddenly like, becomes a completely different film than I think their girlfriends were expecting it to be. And um, for me, that's what this whole scene in the classic was about. I mean, I, we had some prior warning by his friend doing his fart karaoke. But I was like, that's, that was weird. But then it just got weirder still. And I... I wasn't sure if I missed something in the lead up to that scene, but I no, think, I think, well... I, I think it was a case of some local knowledge. Um, so, so, so again, this, this is, this is what I find fascinating about it. This is the cultural differences. Um, I, I'm going to apologize for putting you both through it, but I don't think either of you were harmed in the watching of this film. So I've seen, uh, I've seen worse. 
You've seen and encouraged worse things in cinema. I know this for a fact, Larry, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I, I could have gone a lot more sickly sweet. And I thought there was enough in here for you to say, what the hell was that about? And I'm glad I succeeded. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, it really goes on. The, the whole sugar cart really goes off the rails. I think around the third act, as obviously we got these these two star-crossed lovers. I mean, she's been promised to his best friend. Um, which, again, it's always kind of jarring if you you aren't up to speed on, like, the the period and, and times. It's like when you read Austin and they suddenly go from meeting to being engaged in a matter of pages. Um, so for her to be betrothed to his best friend as a bride, I mean, it, it took me a minute to, like, realise, oh, that's obviously local tradition and custom. So. But um, his friend... His friend uh, Taesu, I have to say he he's really quite quite a good friend to Jun Han. I mean the fact he takes beatings from him and I mean he even kills himself to uh, make way. Yeah. Well, he, he he attempts suicide, doesn't he? He tries. He tries. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but but yeah, I mean he ta- he ta- he takes that really well, doesn't he? I'm in love with your girlfriend. Okay, okay, Dad, whack me as hard as you can, and I'm going to go and hang myself later. Um, and, and then, and then, rather bizarrely, that when 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 time moves on a few years and we enter times of the, um, there were some quite um, violent and full of death riots that went on, which we uh, we sort of encounter, don't we? Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Juhi gets involved in a riot and then he turns up with his Beatles haircut. Oh, hello! God. <laughs> yeah, and, he got his hair had, back. Well, he got his hair back, and they get married. Off, cut, off screen, so we have all this effort. Oh, I ended up marrying him anyway, but we never see it. We never barely. I don't think we ever see him again, do we? After the Beatles, apart from in a photograph, which is another. Yeah. The photographs, of course, is another trope which I haven't included. Certainly, of Quack Joe Young's films, he likes to have little, um, little things in photographs and callbacks to other films as well. Um, mm. But I'm not I... expecting to grasp that. But it was, it was, you know, characters sort of just. You spend a long time with characters in this film, and then things happen to them when you're not looking, or you're yeah. not told about. And okay, I mean, do they, while we're obviously talking about that right scene, I mean, do we know if tear gas is diluted by toothpaste under your eyes? I don't know, and I'm not sure I want to find out because toothpaste <laughs> sucks if you get it in your eyes, and tear gas sucks. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I, that sounds like an old wives' tale that I'm not willing to follow through. But um, it's, it's a takeaway from this film, isn't it? That's just in case we ever get in a riot, I suppose. Well, I mean, I got I got tear gassed in Birmingham when England lost <laughs> like the previous World Cup, and that sucked. And I don't think somehow I don't think toothpaste like that menthol-y smell is really going to help because the amount of time you've you know you've accidentally poked yourself in the eye with your toothbrush or something, it sucks for like the rest of the day. Um, you're doing something wrong in the morning if you're poking your eye with your have you Have you never <laughs> like Have you never like woken up in that half days where you like you you can't quite get together and you you know you like you leave your teaspoon in your coffee and poke yourself in the eye or you you can't quite you slip on you get your brush up there or something so. I, I mean, every morning for me is a struggle, but I've never I've never missed my mouth. Everywhere okay. else, everywhere else I've missed, but not my mouth. I don't know, it can be quite difficult. I mean, to be fair, I'm I'm awful at brushing my teeth. For some reason, the toothpaste, I just it goes everywhere. 
Oh, yeah. I turn up to work and it's just all down my trousers. <laughs> along with coffee and food and basically <laughs> everything. And you can't like you can't wet off toothpaste, can you? That stain stays there until it's been washed. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, and why is it with toothpaste that it just never goes away? Yeah, and and it's worse for a guy if he goes in with a toothpaste stain. I'm saying no more. Um, I don't know. I don't know how you say that, but for a girl, it can look pretty bad if you've got it down your trousers. In, indeed. Yeah, especially if you're bleary-eyed, right? Um, <laughs> this, this, is, this, this podcast is going off the rails. This is meant to be a sweet, romantic film. <laughs> well... Um, so, so, Elwood, you and I also, I know, were both surprised that South Korea took part in the Vietnam War. Yeah, I'm constantly surprised you turns up in the Vietnam War because in my cinematic history training, I assume there's just America fighting Vietnam and losing. Um, and meanwhile, somewhere Francis Ford Coppola's having, fighting his own war, trying to film Apocalypse Now while this is going on. Um, but no, I mean, obviously we've got French colonists who are in Vietnam at the same time, and we apparently had around 60,000 soldiers from Korea who were also in Vietnam at the time, and this is the weird act that they choose to go, because obviously feeling a little more than a little guilty, the fact his friend uh, went and attempted suicide. He enlists himself into military service, and he's shipped off to Vietnam, Um in the process, getting himself blown up because of this stupid bloody pendant, because he apparently hasn't learned how cursed this thing is at this point. I mean, this is this is worse than that mummy they pulled out of Carmen's uh, tomb. <laughs> this thing is this is thing is cursed, but he he's determined to hang on to it. I mean, he's the worst thing is he's like home and dry. He's on the chop, and he's like, no wait, I have to go back to this dead guy who apparently has the pendant for whatever reason. Um, and then I'm going to get blown up once and then someone's going to try and drag me out and then they'll get blown up as well. So it's just a real bad day all around for him. And um, Yeah, it, it kind of comes from nowhere. They must have blown half the budget on it. I mean, there's, there's a full-on <laughs> helicopter and people running around and guns firing and, and there's just there's just enough, there's no context. One minute, he's just decided to go off and sign up and we have the tearful railway scene, another one for the bingo there. Um and then suddenly we're in the middle of a war movie just for five minutes. And yeah, it's just weird. It's just, it's just, it's just everything about it. I know that we, I talked about the sort of time has moved on and we're going through history a bit, but it's, it's a really weird moment basically to put the character in a particular physical disability to pay off in the next scene, which doesn't really matter because he's going to be dead in, two minutes after that well and the <laughs> the next scene actually th- that bit confused me a lot because i got to it and i thought he was dead i know yeah. that he clenched the necklace but i was like oh okay yeah. you know he's he's died there kind of with the necklace and it was actually quite like a, a heartwarming scene that he had the the cursed necklace in his hand and yeah i was like he's died for a necklace but obviously it ha- was very sentimental to him and and then he rocks up and then that scene where then he's suddenly blind. I, <laughs> I, just, I was yeah, like, it just, what? Just... I was like, is he blind or is she joking? And then and then he starts falling over. And I, know. I was like, oh, he's actually blind. <laughs> and and I was like, it's not funny, but it's it is oh, kind of hilarious. Oh, it was because this Peter Jackson obviously um, watched this film because that he likes. Oh, look, fifty-seven endings. Because I'd have. I, I'd have happily ended 
him dying in the war, it'd have been a bit sad. But you're right, it's about, yeah. oh, you know, oh, you know, he still he still loves her and he's still got the necklace. But if you think about what's had what he's had to actually set up, so we don't know how much later it is, but it turns out it's a couple of years. I think you get that in the dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's clearly agreed to meet her for some reason, even though she's married now, and he's married as well, which is something we just just thrown in. Um, but he must have somehow scoped out that cafe to to have the the things like oh look at that statue over there oh, I've got one of them at home which obviously the kid earlier on in the scene has moved which is how she finds out he's blind I mean the amount of shenanigans that have gone on for him to to show not show that he's blind why is he meeting her he's blind what, why is he meeting purpose? her and, and why yeah. does he care that much that he's that he's blind, I mean... But they've it's... both moved on with their lives. Um, yeah. I mean, he's blind because of her, I suppose, but I just don't understand the whole <laughs> point of it. I, mean, I think it's a really... I thought that scene in and of itself is really well done, I think. It's a bit funny, isn't it, when he falls over and stuff like that. But, <laughs> you know, the way, the way that scene's structured, where you see that, um, that, that, that uh, figurine, that doll playing the piano, which is actually a callback to some other films of, of Quacks, um, and also when she's playing the piano earlier on, and, and you see the kid, but what's all going on here? And actually, it's all playing out. But then when he gets up and starts falling over, you thought, well, you managed to get here last time, plow on your own. You managed to get in on your own from the taxi. The taxi didn't exactly pull up next to the door, did he? He hasn't got a stick or anything. I'd, how has he done this? And and but it just it's pointless. It means nothing because literally in the next scene, he's dead. Yeah, he's just. Added random thing. I it think is. it. I think it's just for fun. I think that well, bit was for fun. I think, I think what it is is who, when they must have written the story, they realise what they want is the payoff. The payoff is is that um, uh, Sang Min is his son, and therefore, and they suddenly realise, oh my god, we're, we're two hours into this film and we haven't got to a point where he could even have a son. <laughs> <laughs> we better we better we better do some pseudo sad stroke comedy moment and poor son Yi jin who can cry for career i mean she's had a career of crying um no she puts in her best to it but it's it, it's a bit weird and silly as a scene however um... i did find it quite sad actually eve even said that the scene itself is kind of like pointless I found it quite upsetting that it was like, you know, after so many years they meet and they've both moved on with their lives. And she was she was clearly quite well, I mean, she was very distressed at seeing him again. And actually, that did touch a nerve a bit. I was a I bit mean, like, for oh, me, you know. that, that, yeah, that, I mean, I, I was joking there. That is the lump in the throat moment in the film for me. Um, I, I, th- I think until he sort of starts running away backwards and falling yeah. over I, in terms of. <laughs> into fast but actually yeah that is that's the emotional bit of the film isn't it because i actually felt quite untouched by and un, you know earlier people trying to commit suicide and war and and people not getting together i i wasn't totally with and i'm especially not with anything that happens in the present day um, no. i i none of that works for me at all and the guy that's playing um sang min joe in sung is awful he's oh he's he's, he's, (laughs) no person i was like why is she even trying to steal him off her friend like he's so dull 
He's I mean, just like, oh, I've, you know, forgot my umbrella. Blah. I was like, oh, wow, that's how you get women. <laughs> like, jeez. <laughs> oh, yeah. Umbrellas often play a part in Korean films, I've noticed. But, yeah, and, and the sad thing is, he's actually a really popular actor. So this was early on in his career, and he's actually made a career in Korean drama, which, by the way, if you like this film, Korean drama is the thing for you. If you, were, if you Two hours isn't enough, and you want to put in more like 20 <laughs> go for a Korean drama, because that will really stretch it out. And the same thing will happen, the war bit will happen in episode 20. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> the pacing is always equally off. But yeah, I mean, he's, he's been in a couple of the biggest rated um, Korean dramas ever. And, um, but he was dreadful. Um, and I had not, but, you know, and it wasn't just him. I just had no interest in the modern day bit of the story at all. Um, no, and I, I, the Monday bit is the weakest part of the the whole film. I think mainly because there's no real chemistry between any of the three actors that you follow there. Yeah, and I thought when we we're in Vietnam and and because I thought he died with the necklace on, and when you had the other guy come off, um, take the necklace, which actually turns out to be um, him. <laughs> yeah, yeah to, to to be him. I thought we we're going to be be in this whole situation where it's like the gold watch in uh, Pulp Fiction, where it's just going to be a series of guys passing it from one to the next to it eventually gets back to her mm-hmm. and she's like and they're like oh we we went for this whole ordeal because he what he wanted this like dying man's wish was this to this cursed pendant to get back to you <laughs> and i've been in an internment camp and you do not want to know where this has been um <laughs> But you, you know, we, we walking to turn up, didn't you? It's <laughs> like I, I held this this cold hunk of steel on my ass for six years <laughs> to get it back to you, and she's like, "Oh, thanks." Uh, but no, it's instead we have this the scene where now he's now blind because no one no one involved with with her is gonna come off well in this whole film. She's uh, she's just bad luck, like her jewelry. Oh, okay, um, I mean, she's bad luck. The the the, the... Yeah, her mother and father have died. Remember? Um, yes, they have. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 not only does her mother not go with the guy that she that she spends the film in love with, right? The other guy also dies off camera a couple of years in between because <laughs> he's yeah. the one who he's ascended the rainbow. Everyone who's gone near her, I know nice. it's her necklace, mate. It's her. <laughs> she's she's. She's a cursed woman, um, and, and <laughs> um, she's died as well, of course, hasn't she, off camera? Um, and she could have been that old. Um, and also, there's a, there's a, there is another weird bit. Again, it won't mean anything to you two. Do you remember when, um, in the modern day, they're walking down to the, to the, to the riverfront? I don't know. Is it a beach? I don't know what you'd call it when it's next to a river. Um, and there's an old, and the old man goes, um, oh, ah, yeah, like on pump. the bike. Yeah. Yep. So that's a callback to my sassy girl where he plays an old man, because he is an old man, who basically tells the two characters, oh, you'll get together eventually and um, you're just not in the right time for being together. So it's like this weird callback to the previous film that won't mean anything to anybody who hasn't seen the previous film. <laughs> and it's very minor. You could have seen the previous film and not had a clue what, what that was about. Just, yeah. I, just I, do, I do feel it's... You know, if, if you don't mind a bit of romance and a bit of history and so on and so forth, the guts of the film, the first two and a half acts, are absolutely fine. I can yeah. live without the modern day stuff. And if it had ended with him dying in the war, and maybe a little bit of a happy ending for somebody, because there isn't 
for anybody. Oh, even even our heroine, who's reading, who's telling us the story, ends up with the world's most boring man. But the, <laughs> but the, the circle comes full. Uh, yeah, you know, the circle is the complete. Final, they finally come together. Kind bundle, of. They bundle so much into that last twenty minutes. And it really is the last 20 minutes, because um, although it's over two hours long, the credits start about two hours, one minute in. So it's, <laughs> it's not even as long as you think it is. Um, it, the, the pacing of the film is so off, and that actually is a criticism of this director. All his films are a bit like that. Um, yeah, because okay. I, I quite enjoyed the, the first two acts. Like, it was it was quite nice, you know, and the story seemed to be progressing as it should be and yeah then it was when we got into the third act that I was just like what the fuck is happening I mean you know <laughs> it just starts going everything happens like you said I was like now nah, the war is happening you know all these random things are happening the, the blind scene happens and then there's you know the riot and he turns up with his Beatles haircut <laughs> and then and then we're in the modern day again I was like it, yeah it's almost like a you know, kind of like a bomb of just random mm. shit, and uh, <laughs> yeah. and then them having to fit in all the rest of what could probably be stretched over another two hours in that twenty minutes, and just being like, "Fuck, yeah. we need to fit it all in. Let's go." <laughs> Indeed, if this had been a, if this had been like a four-part TV series, <laughs> and they could have paced it a lot better, but then I wouldn't have put you through it. One thing I have to tell you: the film the guy did after this, Windstruck. Um, very similar sort of idea. It's a bit more wacky. It's a lot funnier, and and I really love it. Actually, I truly love it. But a guy and a girl fall in love, and they go off on holiday together, and they have an accident, and the guy nearly dies. I mean, like by by millimeters, he doesn't die, and it's like, oh my god, she saved him. Isn't that wonderful? And then in the next scene, he dies from something else. <laughs> <laughs> You've you've got to be ready in these films to go on a roller coaster and not not just um, not expect the normal rules to apply. Okay. Actually, I, mean... I have um, a, a question, and I don't know. Maybe it's another trope or something. But uh, one thing that I I didn't understand at all was the was um, when Taisu was when he kept fainting. <laughs> I, I'm not sure why he kept fainting. Yeah, didn't that seem to be? I don't know because I thought he, he was unwell. Yeah, I thought he was unwell, and then everyone yeah. seemed to be unwell, and then the rain kept making people <laughs> unwell, and then yeah, but I wasn't, I wasn't quite sure. I mean, you know, he's just one minute he's fine, and then he's on the floor. Yeah, like... <laughs> I thought that would be how it paves the way for. For them to for them to get together because he's like obviously the one she's been matched with so he dies of some illness and it paves the way but no he instead he tries to kill himself to to create this path and ultimately it descends into, into this whole shame spiral and I mean the, no well, the I think, link I think it's I think it's a bit um I don't know whether it's subtle or obvious the point is he's um he's G High's dad yeah yeah. And yeah. he's dead at the beginning of the film. So do you remember one of the opening things in the film? Once she's after she starts fucking around with those bloody pigeons, um, <laughs> she sees the rainbow outside. Yeah. And she said, "Oh, my mum said when my dad died, he went up on a rainbow." And then we see that scene later on, don't we? Yes. Happened. So it's just to show that he's sickly. 
right okay he's going to die i don't think there's anything deeper than that but the thing is these things are so apart and it's like a clue i guess that you're being left there are a lot of clues all throughout the film that you don't pay any attention to because they're so yeah. random and they don't well... they don't don't feel like they pay off i only noticed this because i've seen it twice so I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't think you missed anything. I just don't think it was signal mm-hmm. very well. Well, you could have run a truck for the telegraph, and they do between Tae Su being the father of Jae Hee. Yeah. There was the fact he does that stupid hair flick, and then she randomly is shown in the fu- in the present doing the same hair flick, <laughs> even though her hair's not moved. <laughs> She's got like the most button-down haircut going. I mean, this thing's like bomb-proof. Um, yet she's still doing this fucking hair flick because you know that's how we got to show the connection between these yeah. two characters. Yeah. Um, but the present day stuff is so stupid. I mean, she's introduced and she's like, seems like such an interesting character. She's there doing like uh, Taekwondo. She's reading books. I mean, she's she's all these amazing things. And then it's all like, oh, she's got like the pretty sloppy friend who eats like fried chicken and and talks her <laughs> mouth open and. Um, she's with this complete wet. She's interested in this wet fish of a guy who's like a drama student who it also should be noticed has a pendant for like slapping women, which the film decides to make a real joke of, um, so that they that think funny. that someone's starting to clap. Yeah. So uh, have you not noticed in Korean films though that sort of misogyny and violence towards women isn't something that's frowned upon? Um, I don't know with this I, because I, I've, I've I've noticed this before, and I think we bring this back to the the, to the the concept of the Confucian society, the structured order of things, and men are better than women. So it's not only what job you've got and how what university you went to, and also what blood type you've got. That's another classic trope because she opens up saying I'm blood type A or something, doesn't she? See, you, I thought she the blood type of every single character in Korean films because it's it's meant to be part of your life. It, it, it's it's like your horoscope. It's like I'm an Aries, yeah? Do you know what I actually thought it was setting up for? I thought that it was going to be, because obviously I read the synopsis online before, I thought that it was going to be um, that she's, like, going to get ill and she needs to figure out which one of the two uh, are her father, whether it's Taesu or whether it's Junha. No. But, because it's, that's it's why I thought action. she was saying that. No, no. it's like... It's like um, it's like saying what your what your what your star sign is, right? Okay. So, so, okay. Um, so having I don't even know my blood type. Well, why? But no. they... I'm a universal donor. I'm oresus negative, I think, which is rare. So, yeah. um, I can give my blood take? to anyone, but I can't take anyone. Where my brother is oresus positive, so he can take anyone's, but he can't give it to anyone. Um, wow. So yeah, I'm a universal donor. So I'm very popular with the. Uh, blood service, but they always schedule it really inconvenient times, so I don't get to donate much. So and probably I know there's, where I'm there's going young girls, blood. there's probably young girls across Asia who are fainting <laughs> at what you've just said because that will be, that will be an amazing thing, you know. <laughs> it will be like having a picture of you next book with a tiger on Tinder, mate. You're 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 set up. <laughs> this is what I need to do. I need to. We need to. We need to do our road trip. We we'll go to. Uh, career or something and just just like drop it it's like oh yeah I'm a racist negative swoon <laughs> thump 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 the women it'd be, all it'd, over. it'd be like uh, be but then fainting. again I mean if you do, if you donate blood a hundred times they give you a gold card 
And I always thought it'd be nice to have one gold card because I'm obviously not going to get it for money. So if I could get it for blood donation, <laughs> I could just like go, yeah, I've got a gold card. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I did, I did divert the conversation. There. I mean, that there is, you know, that that guy slaps her right, and um, I, I've seen that before. Oh yeah, it doesn't seem to be any. Uh, there never seems to be any karma back from doing that. Well, no, I mean, really she slaps normal. him back. They're, they're, they're slapping each other back and forth and I mean it, it becomes the scene as almost misguided as um, I, Tonya's attempts at making domestic abuse a funny topic yeah. um, kind I mean of like, I oh, guess it's... I guess you could argue it's uh, obviously a bit controversial but you could kind of argue that it's almost like equality I mean she slaps him first right <laughs> yeah it's a bit different so I have another question who's the more annoying friend is it the modern day friend, the the sloppy one, as as, as Elwood called her, with her fried chicken and her annoying voice, or the one back in the past who tells tongue twisters? Oh, <laughs> oh, oh. Mm. Um, probably uh, the t- June, the tongue June. twister girl. She's oh. she's, but she's. I think she's got something wrong with her. <laughs> she seems deformed <laughs> there are there are hilarious moments in this film which i think are deliberately hilarious and that him getting stuck with her and escaping because her intensity over that tongue twister is one of the most Jeez. frightening things can you that's like the date from hell isn't it just tongue twisters <laughs> over and over yeah it's not the worst um... date though i'm trying to think of i've had worse dates than her <laughs> Well, he only got left in the five minutes and he escaped. <laughs> it wasn't. Oh, oh, yeah. But we also we also snuck past another trope. Um, so the 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 uh, what's his name? Uh, the tall fella. What's he called? Um, Taisu uh, and um, and now I've forgotten. Jihai. No, it's not Jihai. Junha. Uh, yeah, Junha. Junha. Yeah. They go off down some steps, don't they? And I think there's some famous long steps in Seoul, but. There's always steps. I think you and, and, and we saw it Elwood in the Turtles are surprisingly fast swimmers, if you remember. Yeah. Um, that seems to be another thing. Long a long flight of stone steps somewhere. But we, we skirted past that one. But we could probably make a a pretty good Asian romantic film by just putting that in there on its own. I think it's... Well, I think it's Korean cinema as a whole. There's normally uh, short steps. I mean, you mentioned already, I mean, Tales of Surprising these Fast Swimmers has a lot of action plays around those those sets of steps. We look at Nowhere to Run, we've got the assassination scene on the stairs as well. So, yes, yeah, does seem to be a very popular topic within Korean cinema. Um, and I do, I, do, I do wonder if, if we're missing a... Um... We're missing a story or or a, or a metaphor or something which is blindingly obvious to Koreans and not to us. I don't know. Life's full of ups and downs. I don't. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's, we've got we've got we've got people sending the rainbow here, so uh, it's it's certainly confusing. I mean, for we've got Jay Hugh here. They're here back again in the modern day, and she's portrayed as this educated and worldly young young lady. Yet, for some reason, she doesn't know how to use an umbrella, which irritated me so much in the end. The fact she's running in the rain, which is very cinematic, I guess, but she's running in the rain with this umbrella, and then the whole time I'm just screaming at the TV, it's like, put up your bloody umbrella. But she, <laughs> but she has to run in the rain without the umbrella because 
because I thought the same. But then when she gets to um, uh, Sang Min, she says that line about, oh, you know, I didn't need an umbrella either. And if she wasn't wet, then I guess it wouldn't work, right? I suppose so, but I mean... There's a lot of stupid. When, whenever it rains, people make stupid decisions in this this film. Like, I'm going to shelter under a tree, or I'm going to just like uh, have you just use my coat, despite despite the fact I've left this perfectly good umbrella in this coffee shop, so that like months later you may stumble across it. It's it's a more stupid idea that when you try to, you know, form a connection with someone by leaving stuff at the house, um, so that you've got an excuse to go back there. It's it's really, really clumsy um, attempt, and like his whole thing, because we find out um, that oh, dishwater guy um, apparently has been into her the whole time, and he said up all these things. Yet at the same time, he's been carrying on with her friend, um, and so he's like sets up these two presents. He's like, I was hoping you'd pick this one because it contained this love letter I've written in it, and it's sort of like. You made no effort to like make it appealing to her in the slightest. You made two pretty identical boxes and just hoped she would randomly pick the one you wanted. Um, yeah, the man's a moron and doesn't deserve <laughs> Sonny Jin. I mean, that, let's face it. Um, but yeah, I, I think we all agree that the modern day story is just drivel. <laughs> and you just... do. You, are you invested at all in their relationship? Did you want them to get together? Do you care if they get together? No. In fact, I wish he'd die. Let's let's be honest. Okay. <laughs> Let the curse continue. The film yeah, I wanted. He died. Yeah. Uh, the film I wanted is all the stuff in the back, and it basically ends. He goes off to Vietnam, and he dies, and the pendant comes back. That that's where we need it. We don't need all this intergroup breeding and time flashes and people eating fried chicken and stuff. We can cut all that out and just, as I said, we can lose half an hour off this film by doing so. We can just keep it all the good stuff in the back. Uh, in and, the past. and we could have had a fairly decent 1960s, 70s set, romantic, but still fairly sad film that I think would have been stronger for it. Yeah, but I probably would have brought it to your attention. <laughs> We also have we also get to keep that really questionable dancing to hippie hippie shake, which like so they so again I, this is going to be the longest podcast ever. But that really wound me up that scene because they go on to that folk dance lesson, right? And remember when this is so this is this is they're, they're gone as representatives of their school, and she's quite an official lady, isn't she? That's running it, and you th- those kids would not just suddenly start playing hip you know they go off and just put it on and she sort of walks off doesn't care that they're all having us they would not rebel like that now maybe it's a metaphor for how things are changing in career at that time but that just did not ring true in any way shape or form and not only that just looked ridiculously awkward like dancing always does in movies <laughs> yeah normally because the dancing without music they, it they have to it overdub is, it yeah. so it's <laughs> but it's it, that was yeah, that was that was probably my least favourite scene of the film, and I suspect it was meant to be a really exciting and charming scene. Yeah, it was a, it was not a, it wasn't a great scene because it was all right before they before they started changing the dancing because they had the I quite liked you know when they were having the the looks at each other constantly across the room that was quite cute. 
and, and, like and also the way people were changing partners and things like yeah. that and so they were getting chance to be with the ones that they weren't meant to be with or were meant to be with and that was quite clever and then yeah. they just wrecked it by, <laughs> by, 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 by the hippie hippie shakes it just, I, I, think, I think for me that was the overall tone of the film though that it was like all the really nice moments that did kind of get you in the like romantic feeling then they suddenly destroyed with something that was meant to be you know quite comedic yet just just destroyed the atmosphere of the romance and then I was like there being like oh this is so nice and then I was like ah what the fuck is going on (laughs) yeah I I think I think that's the point I think it's one of tone is that that I don't mind there being comedic bits but they were punches in the face of comedy. They yeah, weren't little they, gentle, they weren't gentle little giggles. No. Absolutely. All, they, all of the timing and the strength of it. Yeah. You know, it was just, have a, oh, here's a moment, I'm going to punch you in the face with some humour. And then we'll get to the, punch you in the face with some humour. And, and, and whilst, whilst the individual scenes, if you'd seen some of those scenes on YouTube, in, in and of themselves, they might have been quite funny. Yeah. I don't know but, because people doing fart dances is funny, but in the context of the film and actually the emotions it's actually trying to elicit for you, i.e., trying to make you cry at the end, um, I felt it. The balance was utterly wrong. You know, actually, in in regards to the fart dance, and maybe it's because my mind works in weird ways, but <laughs> when it first started happening, he says to the other guy to um, open his mouth. And close his eyes, and I was like, "Oh, it's going to turn out that he's gay and he's in love with the other one." And I really thought that he was going to put something in his mouth, and I was like, "Oh, I didn't see this coming." And then the fart dance happened, and I was like, "Oh, I even more didn't see that coming." <laughs> there is another bit. So the bit you talked about, Elwood, um, in the in the modern day, and you, and you mentioned the line about, oh, "I'm not the only one who's wet," or something like that. Uh, I don't know what your. I've got the Korean DVD. I watched it, but I, 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 did you watch the other copy I got for you, Zoe? And I, th- I guess Elwood found it on streaming or something like that. So I don't know what subtitles we all saw. I I watched but, the one that you sent us the yeah, link to. Yeah. So my DVD, it, it it's filthy what comes out of their mouth, but it's not what they're <laughs> saying at all, and that put me out of it as well. It was like a really crude joke about her being wet, but that's not what. <laughs> actually being said <laughs> so maybe my mind goes to the wrong place as well cool um, I mean is there anything else we haven't talked about this I one at all we, I think we've got a two hour podcast about a two hour film frankly <laughs> so, I mean it's appropriate <laughs> yeah I mean it's a film where there's a lot to unpack uh, with this one and when you when you try when you list it all out, a lot of it feels very unnecessary. But if we're in the context of the film, it, it all works. I mean, these random jumps in time and these these uh, these these events which happen. I mean, from my, as I said before, the the stuff in the modern days where the film sort of falls apart. Well, when it's in the past, so to speak, um, the film itself is actually pretty strong. So, and I I I feel that we all enjoyed it to varying degrees it's not you know this is my pick it's not my favorite of the genre but i don't think either of you think i think i've picked things that you've hated more right and um i don't think zoe was completely bored rigid so 
No, Just actually, what? I mean, you know, considering the runtime was so long, I I wasn't. I mean, I said a couple of parts were boring, but actually, I found that there was enough to go by through the whole of the film, and you know, and even with the kind of like weird quirks that it had, they almost made it for me kind of better than a normal romance because it made me kind of be like, okay, you know. What am I going to expect na- next? Am I going to expect, like, you know, them kissing in the rain or another fart dance? <laughs> <laughs> actually, I quite liked the the quirkiness of it and that it wasn't, you know, your straightforward romance movie, which I'm I'm used to seeing when I watch them. So, yeah, I mean, I, I quite enjoyed it. Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was a bad movie at all. That's a relief. <laughs> yeah, it means might come back then. So, no, I was I was very surprised when Stephen obviously picked this because he I think cause it didn't help the fact that that he set it up as this as this what was going to be a very smaltzy experience. That's what I went into it thinking I was going to have, and the fact it's going to be two hours of this. Um, it's like God, what does he think I do? I just got unlimited time to sit around and watch people make doe eyes at each other um but no there's there's so much randomness and weirdness i mean it, i mean it reminds me a lot of uh murakami's norwegian wood which um is, is as i said i mean if you're going to like recommend anything to go with this i would say as i said it's either going to read you either read murakami's norwegian wood or you um look at in the mood for love by one kwa um, which again, it's like 1962 setting. Um, obviously, within the movie for love, it's set in Hong Kong. Um, and once more, we—I mean—we got beautiful people against an interesting backdrop. I mean, in this, in case of in the movie for love, we've got uh, Tony Lung and Maggie Chung uh, playing this pair of neighbors whose spouses are having an affair with each other, and just the connection and this sort of romance that sort of hangs over these two characters that never actually gets fulfilled um just makes it such a so the nearest sort of comparison piece i can sort of go to it but no i i enjoyed it um i don't understand why they called it the classic that still makes no sense whatsoever well so so Uh, i I know why that is so at the beginning when she's reading the love letters she starts reading the story goes oh this is such a classic love story (laughs) all right uh, yeah so it's it's when it opens up it sounds like oh this because she doesn't know what's going to happen to everybody she thinks this is uh, because he writes this really prosaic love letter isn't he and she's like oh this is a classic you know (laughs) i think she's i think it's sarcastic (laughs) <laughs> but it's also because it's it is playing on every trope of this sort of story, not just in cinema but in in Asian romance melodrama. Every single trope is brought up. If you at some point in our last hour of talking, someone should have said house, because every trope is brought up. It's classic for that reason. Cool. Um, I mean, Stephen. I mean, you obviously given us plenty of food for thought at the start of the show, obviously in films to, to go and follow this up with. Um, I mean, is there any particular one or two titles yeah. that, that sort of stand I, out for yourself as like, you know, I, this I'm, is I'm, the best thing to pair this with? Yeah, I'm so, so we are going to go back to a couple of those films at some point over the next 50 episodes. So I'm going to go for something else. I'm going to go for one of the films I did talk about, though, which is Phylan. Um Again... 
um, Choi Min Suk, Mr. Old Boy, Choi Min Sik, sorry, and Cecilia Chung. Um, he's a gangster. Um, there's a sort of a whole gangster story going on. She is a Hong Kong immigrant that's come to find her sister, I think, or sister and mother, but they've actually moved on to Canada. She's stuck. She nearly falls into prostitution. She, they end up basically, he is a, a fake, they have a fake marriage, but they never meet. Um, she writes him loads of letters because he's really, because she's so thankful of what he's done. Um, he reads those letters in prison. She dies of tuberculosis. She's fallen in love with him because of what he's done for her. He falls in love with her over the letters, but it's too late. It's, um, but it's a really well made, it's, it's, you know, everything this film times 200, but it's got a, a really strong cast. It's a, it's a really good film. Um, so yeah, Fyland. Okay, so uh, this brings us to the end of another edition of the Asian Cinema Film Club. Uh, before we obviously go, we've got a couple of bits of, of fun things happening, obviously, in the podcast neighborhood. Because here on the show, we do obviously like to view the podcast community as a neighborhood. You know, it's not all about being the big I am, the big over-dominating podcast that rules over, oh, as you know, we're a community. And you don't just like watch one show. You obviously don't listen to one podcast. So we're always keen to... Uh, promote what else is happening out there in the community um in particular the blade licking thieves are wrapping up their masterclass series uh which has been a trilogy of episodes where they've looked at masterworks within asian cinema um it's a series which include nausicaa of the valley of the wind hard boiled which uh stephen doesn't appreciate um <laughs> and more recently harakuri um, which is an episode that has just come out now. Um, Blade Looking Thieves, really fun show. Um, like ourselves, they cover a wide range of Asian cinema and put us to shame with the copious amounts of anime that they watch, especially Greg, um, who is in that luxurious position of being able to work out and watch anime at the same time, whereas um, it just isn't happening for myself. And you don't watch anime, Stephen, do you really? So. I watch more anime than I work out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, On the non, obviously the non anime uh, Asian cinema front, um, I also recommend you check out the That's Weird podcast uh, with Christy and Ashley, who basically they cover subjects that are weird. So if you want to have a podcast that's about Sasquatch kidnappings or real corpse brides or Kurt Cobain's suicide conspiracies. Um, Kirsten Ashley a really put together a really fun show. It's nice and lighthearted and doesn't go incredibly deep and overboard with the conspiracy theories like a lot of these shows do. So if you're looking for something a bit weird to, or just something to break up your podcast listening, then that's weird. Uh, it's definitely worth um, adding to your subscriber list as well. Um, obviously, we are part of the That Moment in Podcast Network. And if you haven't done already, you know, please do hit the subscribe or like buttons where you listen to us on Podomatic or iTunes or even through thatmomentin.com where you can obviously find uh, more writings from our guest tonight, Zoe, who's, as we mentioned at the start, is writing already about Nakudama and a Serbian film and uh, writing saying that you were talking about Last House of the Left, you said you were coming up? Yes, that's the one. Um, I have to, I mean... I mean, how have you got like a, a list of films that you plan to sort of cover or are you just sort of taking a film by film basis where the sort of twisted whim takes you at the minute? 
No, so I've got um, I've got a bit of a list, which is obviously it's changing here and there, dependent. But yeah, I've got a got a list of films that um, I think kind of cover uh, the aspect of of controversial movies and um, why we watch them. Because I mean, when I was at university, I I did my dissertation on on kind of uh, desensitization through horror films and you know how the more disturbing content we view we kind of seek out to watch even more disturbing content and um, lately as well I've been speaking to a lot of the the people at work because none of them like horror movies but I've been been kind of almost speaking to them about these movies that they don't want to know about and and finding out you know their levels of curiosity in a sense of you know I said the other day oh don't look at my screen I've got something really disturbing on it and so they all were like oh coming over they were like oh let's have a look let's have a look and then looking at it and being like oh it's not that bad actually uh and i mean it was it was a pretty hardcore picture and they're you know they're girls that are into love island they they don't want to know about like tumbling doll of flesh yet they come over and they were like oh and it was actually a picture from um american guinea pig uh bouquet of guts and gore and and the image is i mean it's nasty but yeah they were like oh yeah it's it's not as bad as you say it is and so i i you know just speaking to people and things i've found it quite interesting in terms of of research to see kind of how people even if they don't want to watch these uh controversial and disturbing movies are are very curious and almost kind of you know see it as like oh yeah i could watch it it's not that bad um so i guess i've i've got a list and then i'm I'm almost re-watching them and then testing them on people I know to get some thoughts from them and then uh, using it to, to write my, my articles. Um, and also I've, I've got into back into a lot now watching lots of disturbing films because um, I kind of had a, had a break actually because I, for, for a while, because I thought that maybe I needed to stop watching things that were mentally disturbing but now now i'm back and i'm enjoying it again and i'm like oh what's the next horrible thing to watch so um this weekend i'm actually publishing my review of um salo or 120 days of sodom so you can find out what i what i thought of that on my site um and i'm sure you you can already guess that i really enjoyed it and that's also got (laughs) A similar shitting scene but unfortunately they don't keep it in the woods they keep it on their plates so slightly different but you know maybe you guys might like that one. <laughs> oh, I've, I've already been down that path I've, I had that era in, in when I was in college where you just want to look at disturbing things and they discovered Takashi Miki and I was like you know what I'm good <laughs> <laughs> I think watching Dead or Alive uh, was like there's a scene. There's a, again. It's a, it's a similar scene with excrement in a, a paddling pool. That I was just like, you know what? I'm I'm pretty good right now. I don't don't need to go any deeper into this into this wormhole. So uh, I found my limit. But I, it's always always interesting to see how much further you want to uh, go with things. So exactly. And I'm I'm going as far as possible until 
you know, someone decides I should probably be taken out of the world for the greater good. So we'll see how far that journey oh, goes. That's a bit dark. <laughs> well, you know, some people are just, I guess you get to a point where maybe maybe your mind's too messed up for things, right? <laughs> Until the guys with the large butterfly net show up. You're going yeah. to be putting this out. <laughs> exactly. I think unless you're acting on it, it's fine. Which um, I'm not. But yeah, so, 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 so that's <laughs> just clear. FYI. We're not, we're not nursing a serial killer here, everybody. She's, she's <laughs> just interested. Mm. Um, also on the uh, That Morning Doc, uh, That Moment in Podcast Network, uh, TV Good Sleep Bad, uh, looking at fringe and public safety movies, including the uh, farm safety film Apaches. Um, Vern over on Cinema Recall has recently launched his Patreon campaign, which for one mere dollar you can get access to bonus episodes, including myself and Stephen and Lackey and Kim um, talking about more extreme cinema, uh, in particular video nasties. And he's also got on there the audio play version of Plan 9 from Outer Space that he recently did with a bunch of other podcasters. Um, he has got exciting plans to do more of these audio plays, and it's it's well worth uh, supporting his, uh, his campaign because he puts out some really interesting shows over there. So... Um, and also just wrapping up the uh, network Game Warp have got their coverage from the Montreal Comic Con as well um, so definitely plenty to check out on the network uh, as I said if you haven't done already please do hit the like or subscribe button if you listen to us on Podomatic or iTunes or through thatmanon.com um, it all really does help and uh, your feedback is appreciated um, the next episode we are going to be looking at some anime we are going to be looking at a director who only did a small amount of films but each one of them is like cinematic unicorns as we're going to be looking at satoshi Kon's perfect blue from 1997 a groundbreaking and fantastic anime film which is up there with the likes of akira and um ghost in the shell as one of the important animes that helped break it through to mainstream audiences um if you're not obviously familiar with it it was a key inspiration for darren Anofsky's black swan and it follows a member of a japanese idol group called mima who decides that she's going to give up on music to pursue an acting career and in doing so becomes the victim of a stalker while all the time the perceptions between reality and fiction become all the more blurred, especially when she discovers a chat room called Mima's Room, where she finds that someone has been living her life if she never left music. Um, this is a really fantastic psychological thriller, and Satoshi Kon is definitely a director I wish had been able to produce more films than before his untimely death. And... As I said, he's uh, he's a director I never tire of discussing. At the same time, I'm always afraid of watching the last couple of films of his filmography just because I know there's never going to be any more uh, films to follow. But uh, that's what we're going to be talking about on the next show. Uh, but until then, I'd like to say thank you, of course, to our special guest host, Zoe, for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me once again. Um, it's been a... It's been fun for us to obviously take you away from the dark material and hopefully it wasn't uh, too jarring an experience for you. No, it was nice to it was nice to be on the lighter side for once, actually. So thank you for that. <laughs> um, and of course, thank you to my co-host, Stephen. 
It's a pleasure as always, and I'm glad I didn't disturb you, either of you too much in the wrong direction. Cool. Um, but until next time, thank you as always for listening, and we'll be back next time looking at Perfect Blue. きのうの恋は忘れて昨日のあの子は忘れて踊り続けていたい夜なのさ月が砕け散っても星が燃えて落ちても踊り続けていたい夜なのさ胸に刺さった恋の刃が燃える思いを狂わすのさ昨日の恋は忘れて昨日のあの子は忘れて踊り続けていたい夜なのさ